everyone. You are here with, you know, and I don't know what it is about these intros that I get started. And what it is actually is that I start looking at you and I'm looking at what you're doing. And I'm looking at your nails and wondering why they're white. And I just cannot. Because I like white nails in the summer. I cannot get my intro in. So I'm going to start again. What's the I'm magazine? Gonna... What's the magazine behind you? The hell? <laughs> I just, I have so many questions. I mean, this happens every time. I don't know why, because we've been talking for 15 minutes and well, I haven't been looking at anything. I'm looking at this. Okay, wait, wait, record, okay? Just we so- are recording. Right now? Yes. Okay. All right. Hello, 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 everybody. My name is Kathy Bennett and I am the owner and the creator and the human mind behind Groovy Golden Doodles. I am here with my dear, dear friend for over a decade, Kimberly Gautier. She is the mastermind, author, podcaster, videographer behind um, Keep the Tail Wagging. You generally hear her do the <laughs> However, we haven't been able to have an intro the last couple of weeks and she confessed to me why and her reasons were just really hilarious she's concerned about the fact that I, I move around when she's doing the intro so I'm a distraction she was wondering why my nails are white so for those of you that can't see me I have white fingernails because I like to wear my nails short and I like them to be white in the summer then she wanted to know about this magazine that I had on the back of my bed which she has access to visually. And it's from the Mount Pleasant magazine here in South Carolina. But dear Kimberly, when I was flipping through it, I saw that there are some women supporting women businesses. And I was very intrigued with this one. It's a marketing um, business by three African-Americans called Girl Go Hustle. Nice. And I put it on my bed so I could register with them. Um, girls with dogs. So okay. And I'm wearing I'm wearing this blue dress because it's a sundress and it's 93 degrees out. And I'm eating a cherry icy. I wonder what the temperature is here. It's not nearly 90 degrees. I had jeans on earlier, but that was just a little too hot. 68, 68 degrees. So it's great to talk to you because some people may not know you've been under the weather. So if you hear her coughing, yeah. Um, disregard it if she starts to gag and falls and falls out the chair i know i'll try to hit mute before i hit the ground (laughs) what i'll do is if she hits mute i will go into my my um anchor reporting and i'll blow my blows and i'll (laughs) okay the feet are up the head is i this i am i don't like this i I'm happy because at least I have energy to do stuff. The worst part was like feeling better. I mean, I keep going back to that morning that I called you because I'm ready and I'm feeling better. And two hours later, I was curled up in bed, (laughs) shivering and tired. So those days are behind me. But this cough is no joke because I can't go anywhere because if I start hacking up a lung, everyone freaks the hell out and runs. I mean, that hasn't happened, but that's what I imagine. You know, everyone's like, what are you doing here? What are you coughing out? And, and it's, damn. So many, pe- so many people feel that way. They say things like, hey, I feel um, I can't go. And then you fill in the blank because I know when I get there, I'm going to start coughing. And then people are going to look at me strange. And I'm thinking, well, it's OK. They'll look at you. It's not like they're going to do anything to you. 
Um, although in this world, you know, you just you just don't know about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah. Um, I mean, people get we've seen all the videos of, you know, little snapshots yeah. of people flipping out because someone wasn't wearing a mask. It's so it's just there's a, a terrible stigma that I think the person that tests positive for COVID gets um, as if they've done something wrong and now they're this horrible person. And so I, I just want people to know, and I guess maybe because I work in the hospital, it's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. Um, and if a person is out there coughing and you, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. Um, it's just that we'll, we'll get through this. We will get through this. Okay. Here's my first PSA. She muted us, <laughs> but she's back with us now. <laughs> so so how, how have you been? I've been okay. I sent me a picture of Harley. He looks gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. I'm getting ready to do a series of blog posts um, called Pivoting with My Senior Dog. And I'm going to start talking about the different things that we have changed um, around here to accommodate and make life um, just a little bit easier for him. Um, That Really, when I balance it out with the amount of joy that he brings me, it's not a sacrifice at all. Mm -hmm. So the first one I'm going to do is um, grooming and I'm going to tell the rest of the story on Harley's continuing saga, saga, but he's doing really well. How was your 4th of July? My 4th of July was was good. Um, It wasn't the best. Um, You know, last year we had more success with the dogs. And we had, I feel like this year, I don't know what changed. It doesn't really matter, but it felt like the fireworks were more severe this year. So, you know, I don't, they don't mind the pop, pop, pop. And the ones that go up in the air and make the big show. It's the the huge boom that shakes the house. It seems, even though it, you know, it was set off a mile away. Those are the ones that the dogs have a problem with. And you know, every year I have the dogs outside as off as much as possible so that the slowly slow growth of the fireworks, they just slowly get used to it. Um, but this year it was, it was like game on. We aren't doing that this year. We're just going to blow shit up. And that's what it felt like. And so I had the dogs out with their raw meaty bones and everybody was in their spot chewing. And then there was a huge boom and Rodrigo got up And he looked around like, what the hell? And he looked at me and I was just like, come on and brought him inside. One second. Oh, here we go. This is cough gag number two. Up, she leaned over, but she didn't go down. (laughs) So he came inside, but yeah, after that, and they just kept, they kept going with the booms and he, he wasn't having it. So I ended up, having to medicate Rodrigo because he was having such a hard time. Oh my goodness. With it. It was so loud. Um, and what's interesting is that it's not anyone like close to us. Yes. And I mean, cause I know if that would have happened, it would have been 10 times worse, but it's, you know, it, you can see it off in the distance, but it's at least a mile away, but that sound travels and with dogs and their senses, it was not good. And so he wasn't happy. Zoe wasn't happy. Apollo wasn't happy. Scout was like, y'all can go inside if you want to. I'm eating everybody's food. He was fine. 
Um, but I did have to, you know, cause I, I had been doing the CBD oil. I had been doing the, the counter conditioning. I did all the stuff. I did the whole, every time there was a boom, yay. And that all worked with everyone except for Rodrigo. He just, he, he was just, just too much. Yeah, it was, it was just going to be too much. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have a plan other than, you know, turn the television up and then just kind of, if we're all together, they're pretty good. But about four o'clock, I want to say uh, the sky got black. There was all of this really, really pay attention to me. Thunder, no mm-hmm. lightning. Um, and I think that that made everybody pack up their picnic stuff and what they had planned to do. And it stayed dark like that. And it thundered. It never ran, rained. Um, mm-hmm. But the minor baseball team, the River Dogs, that stadium is not that far from me either. Mm-hmm. So they had their game and they do a huge fireworks display after that, which is about nine o'clock. And that's pretty much all we heard. And ever since the fourth, there seems to be a succession of early night showers yeah. Yeah. and because of the heat and the humidity. So it's really prevented a lot of the, um, the fireworks. Maybe because they have to deal with the cannon, the fireworks have become um, more yeah. of a kindergarten type experience for them. Right. Right. As long as we're not outside, they seem to be okay with that. Yeah. But um, didn't hear much about the shelters exploding with additional dogs that had been rescued or found. Um, so I think people, I even notice on social media, I don't know about you, that there is more awareness, um, even from companies about being mindful because of children, pets, people with PTSD and other mental and emotional um, disabilities. So I'm noticing that everybody is starting to say, why are we doing this? And somebody has already started in a different country using silent fireworks. So you get get all of the beauty because they are very pretty. To look at, you get all of the beauty, but none of the noise. But and I think people here like the noise. They like the boom. They're not doing it for the beauty. They're doing it for the boom and the noise. They like the idea of just blowing stuff up. I did find a rocket on my front lawn <laughs> Tuesday morning. I did. I took a picture because I said to my, um, I said to somebody on Facebook, we didn't really have any fireworks. And then when I got ready to get in my car, there was a rocket about 12 inches long laying on my front lawn. And I said, well, I guess we did have fireworks after all. Um, and then Lee texted me and said he threw it in the trash. <laughs> so, but um, really, really excited today because we have a guest. Yes, we do. Oh, and you know what? I must say, you hurt my feelings. Why? Why? Could you say that like you really mean it? Why? You didn't say anything about my new glasses. Oh, I'm sorry. Why did you get new glasses? Oh, damn. Let the guests on. You were just supposed to say, I like your glasses. Nobody likes them but me. So it's okay. You can be like the rest of my family. I don't care. But why did you get new glasses? Uh, Because I dropped my old ones. <laughs> I like your new glasses. Now I'm I'm like the worst. Per- I'm like the worst person. I don't notice stuff. Like Johan says that I, I would be the worst witness. You notice the magazine up behind me on my bed because that's what I do. I notice random things. 
for that oh, magazine. Hell. It's like, because I'm curious about it. Oh, hell. Okay. The only thing it's like, I would notice a difference in you if you came on here and you were wearing a wig or if your hair were bright pink. I noticed like really big differences. Like I noticed there was a week where we were doing this and you had a bunch of boxes on the bed and I just kept staring at the boxes, wondering what was inside of them. If any time my hair is pink or I have a wig on, you need to be concerned. (laughs) Not record and say, um, maybe we need to have a private conversation. (laughs) All right, let Hannah in. Okay. Hi. Hi. How are we? So Hannah, I'm um, I'm Kathy, and this is Kimberly. Hi, Kim. Um, No. And we haven't told the audience anything about you yet. So so let me do that first. No um, we have Hannah, Hannah Malloy um, with us. And I'm so excited because anybody that reads my blog or listens to Girls with Dogs knows that I have been obsessed with a book titled What's My Dog Thinking? And um, it's understanding your dog to give them a happy life. And before I go ahead and give you a bio about Hannah, which we will, or if we don't, we'll put it um, into the link with the um, podcast. But I talked about this book so much. Christmas, it was given to me by a dear coworker. And everybody knows that I'm a therapy animal coordinator. So my life evolves around dogs professionally and personally. And he wrote in the book, he said, you may already know most of all of these things in this book, but even a pastor carries a Bible. And I thought that that was so cool of um, a comment or statement. So naturally, I thumbed through the book. And the first thing that I came across was on page 84, where it says, my dog brings me a present when I come home. So I remember telling Kimberly about this. I said, you know, I read this and I felt like such an idiot because every time somebody comes in the house, Jax grabs a shoe or a slipper and he runs around, the tail is wagging and he doesn't give anybody the shoe or the slipper and he doesn't put it down. So years ago, I started this lie, not intentionally, but people anticipate if you are a blogger about pets, or you work with animals, or you have a lot of animals, everybody looks at you as a subject matter expert. So they were like, why is he bringing me a shoe, but he won't give it to me? So I concocted this story in my head that made a whole lot of sense to me. I said, well, you know, he's 50% golden retriever. I said, so he's naturally picking up something. um, And I just haven't really worked with him on the retrieval part. So just bear with me. Well, my husband carried the lie. My kids carried the same lie. Until you explain what the hell was going on <laughs> before. And I actually felt like I got to write this, beg for forgiveness, oh. and for having this moment when all of a sudden I realized now exactly why Jax was doing what he's doing. And it just got me started. And I just could not put the book down. I talked about it so much yeah. that um, Kimberly said, I'm going to buy this book. Um, yeah, yeah, I had to have the book. I, I love it. I flip through it whenever my dogs do something. I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is covered in the book. And it always is. Um, I get a kick out of it because, you know, I have four dogs. They're all mixed breed dogs. So, you know, it's funny because people sort of have the attitude that dogs 
based on their breed, they're going to do something. And um, so we can understand their behavior, but based on their breed. And since I have mixed breed dogs, that doesn't really work for me. And over the years, just of having dogs, every dog is just such an individual that you, there's so many things that impact their behavior. But the dog that has me most curious is our youngest. Uh, He's a husky golden retriever mix. And the reason is because for when the first few years, I mean, he's three years old now, but the first couple of years that we had him, whenever I would write things about him on social media, I would get a question of, is he more husky or is, is he more golden retriever? And so a lot of his behavior world traits, I'll look him up, try to figure out what is he doing and then Google it to figure out, is this a husky? And I'm like, this is exhausting. This is exhausting trying to understand this dog. But this book just makes it so simple because it's just a dog behavior. Unlike um, uh, Kathy's dogs, where they're bringing a gift to you when you come to the door, Apollo grabs something. When he gets super, super excited, he just starts looking around for something to grab. And so I learned that instead of, because he's going to grab a shoe, he's not going to destroy it. He's just going to grab it, shake it because he's so excited. And if we don't want him to grab our shoes, I just scatter toys around so that if he is going to, because he has to get this out, I'm not going to be able to train this out of him. And I don't want to, it's not harming anything. So I just go and he will go. He understands that we prefer that he grabs a toy. And if he has a toy or a shoe, he will go for the toy if the toy is available, picks it up, shakes it. But yeah, the book is so much fun. Yeah, it, it really is. But all right. So Hannah, you know, Kimberly and I just, we came out of the gate like racehorses. And that's why <laughs> I love this because every podcast for us is so unusual and unconventional. And it's just us, just girls with dogs just hanging out. So now, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you, uh, what inspired you to write the book? Um, yeah, just sure. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's so good to be with you both like it's, it's it's a massive honor thanks for for having me and I, and it's wonderful to hear that you know I wrote the book in the UK and you guys are not in the UK you're over there in the US and it's it's just such it's just such a wonderful feeling to know that actually that education is 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 across the world it's been sent over there and you guys get to read it and be blessed by it and um you know there's a lot of dog books in the world aren't there there's just lots of lots and lots of really great quality education out there um and I was really lucky to be given the opportunity to write this book um because the publisher is DK and they you know they do all the wicked encyclopedias right like you want to learn about dinosaurs you get a DK book they they do the best mm-hmm. um and so they invited me to partner with them and write it and they really wanted a book that would um, appeal to uh, the next generation really and be quite pictorial but also be packed full of really good science so and, you know, my background is I'm an animal behaviorist. So I've got a degree in animal behavior and I graduated in, in 2008 and I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. That was my <laughs> that was my dream back in the day. Wow. Um, yeah, it's quite niche. I think um, I was a child of the 80s and 90s. Right. So we grew up watching like Flipper and like Andre and all of these amazing animal training. Free Willy was, you know, there was so much really good quality uh, TV and movies with animals in it. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like working with animals and training animals would just be so much fun. Um, And then, yeah, I came out of uni and 
Blackfish came out, the documentary Tricky Complex, and we started to see like a different side of animal training because uh-huh. of that documentary. Um, and then, yeah, I found out about Medical Detection Dogs, which is a charity that had been set up in uh, 2008. Um, and they proved that dogs could smell cancer. And that was just, you know, when you have one of those moments in life that is totally revolutionary, like changes the whole trajectory of your life in a split second. And and just from that one piece of knowledge, I was like, what? Okay, if, so first of all, dogs have the physical apparatus to smell cancer. Like that, that is mind blowing to me. I just big up to dogs. Like I can't do that. You know, we can't do that. Um, but not just that, that these dogs were telling us about it. You know, this was like, decades of anecdotal evidence of pets that were walking up to their owners and being like mom I think there's a thing and and I, I don't think you know about it and I really want you to know about this like I'm going to sniff your leg until you notice you know yeah. the fact that dogs wanted to tell us about it and then that the human beings were sensitive enough to say oh I think my dog I think my dog's trying to tell me something and just those three factors for me just like went oh my gosh, these creatures are amazing. Like, I, ju- I just want to get into dogs. Like, I just want to focus on them and learn more about them and just, yeah, give them the same degree of, of attention as they've given us for, what, 20,000 years? So that's where my heart for dogs kind of came from. And and so then stepping into the dog world was um, <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> As an animal behaviorist, you get taught to just look at the niche. So what environment did this animal evolve in? Like what are its selection pressures? What does it struggle with? What is it um, challenged by? And what does it um, adapt towards? And really that's humans. So stepping into the dog world was crazy for me as a behaviorist because you go, okay, wow, there's like a whole nother section of behavior that I get to watch here like why are we choosing to breed this particular dog and why do you show that dog and why do you train that way and my big you know that childhood why that you have when you're five like I never lost that (laughs) so I just kept asking why and um the biggest thing I found when I was studying the dog world in those early stages was we really don't understand how to read dog body language it's it's just not a part of our DNA to to start with is looking at the dog and saying what are you what are you trying to say to play around with I had um I had an opportunity in reading your book to then start thinking about how uh, to help the therapy dogs because a lot of times we have to look at why we're asking the dog to do something um Am, am I, is my dog visiting with a patient because this is something he really wants to spend time with this patient or is it not um, what he wants to do, but he's doing it to please me? Mm. Um, I noticed there was an opportunity where we were at a school and there was a golden retriever on his belly, on his back, and the kids were rubbing his belly. And mm. afterwards, I asked the owner, I said, um, May I ask why you allowed that to happen? And so, because see, books like this make people like us dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) I've weaponized you. I love it. (laughs) So so I asked her, so she said, oh, he loves belly rubs. I said, well, I took a picture and I'm going to text it to you. I said, because his body language was all wrong. I said, his eyes were wide open. His mouth was clamped shut. And he just looked like he was rigid 
in the sense that he is not an aggressive dog. He was being complacent and compliant, but it wasn't something he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I said, when you give him belly rubs at home, I want you to take a picture and look at the two. Is his eyes half open? Is his mouth wide open, tongue hanging out, very relaxed? Tail was not tucked, but it could be stretched out or flapping, you know, almost like a fish out of water. I love your detail, by the way. Just delicious detail. The detail of the way you describe body language just makes me. It's great. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And there's another book that I got after yours for the same purpose. And I said, when? And so she called me and she said, I just sent the picture. And she said, who are you? Um, And I said, what what's happening? So she took a picture and she sent it to me and it was exactly as I had described. And I told her, I said, you'd be amazed at what your dog is doing to please you, but it has nothing to do with what the dog wants to do. Um, I said, so you really have to dig deep and start paying attention to what your dog is telling you. And so I said, you might want to get this book. I said, because it's a fun read and it really, really helps you have a better understanding. And it also makes you start to observe. One of the things that Kimberly and I did when she got the book, we started paying more attention to our dogs, Um, facial expressions, how they approached us, how they approached other people. Remember, Kimberly, we kept talking about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, because it makes sense. It's just not that much information written in layman's terms. And that's what I appreciated about your book. I didn't have to get a thesaurus or a dictionary next that, to me. And the book isn't preachy. That's the, no. my, one of my biggest pet peeves about the dog lover world is mm. how judgmental we can be towards each other. You know, I am a helicopter dog mom. So whenever I'm out someplace with my dogs, I'm paying attention to everything that's all around Mm -hmm. them. What are they telling me? Mm -hmm. Is it time to move? Are you comfortable? Is this okay for you? Type of thing. I don't, but the other thing. And you have to do that, you know, it's it's super important. The dog can't, this is the thing for me is my whole always was to speak up for the silenced. And I think we've all got reasons why we work with dogs. And I think this is the difficulty with the dog world is we have so much passion. There's so much passion, you know, for wanting to, protect and nurture and it's very much like child rearing everybody's got different perspectives and opinions about it and we're not taught how to have good conversations like loving conversations and it's actually something i mean i'm gonna put out a podcast soon called the future of dogs and that's actually going to be episode one is how to have good dog conversations how can we have difficult conversations well you know because i'm so excited about you right like actually spotting dogs who are who are not being heard and i totally feel you i'm what they call a meme spoiler so my friends have learnt it it took them all a little while but they would send me a picture and be like oh look and i'd be like oh no and they were like oh no is is it a bad is it a bad one and i'm like it's people like you that talk (laughs) and that's what i was gonna i was thinking about when you said that i remember there was a meme and it turned into a weekend conversation where i learned so much, not only about dogs, but about my audience. And now because of that one day, I, whenever I share a meme or a picture or anything, I am looking all around the dog, what the dog is wearing, what type of collar does the dog on? Because 
if I want to talk about dog food, I can't have a dog with a prong collar on um, okay. because yeah. the conversation is going to be about the prong collar. Mm-hmm. It's really <laughs> hard. It's really hard. And to give an opinion and, you know, I, I think I learned really early when I first stepped into my CPD journey. So learning about my profession after uni, um, I went to a, a teacher, um, I went to a, a seminar and it doesn't matter who it was, but you know, in those early days, I was watching a lot of dog TV. I was reading everything. I was just eating, consuming as much knowledge as I could. Seasonal and the Dog Whisperer was big at this point. And, you know, I hadn't fully let my brain click through the learning that was happening and what and why what he was doing was working. And so I was like, oh, you know, this man seems to know a lot about dogs. And the word dominance was getting thrown around a lot. So I remember going to my very first uh, you know, a body language related seminar. And I was in the, in the crowd. And so one of the things came up and I think I put my hand up and very confidently it's been my whole life, just been like, is that not dominance? And the hush that just <laughs> hit the room, this like, and the person who was leading just kind of went like, it was like totally awkward. Like she pulled the awkward on me and I was like, wow, like lovingly, I just put my hand up to answer a question. Right. And, and, and I, I've just got a question and the whole way that they dealt with me asking that question made me learn one thing in that environment. And that is, I will never make a learner feel that way. I never want anyone that ever asks me a question to go, oh, oh, this is, you know, I never want to have that because it's awful. It's like a, such a social punisher to be like, oh, we don't like, I can't believe A, you don't already know that. B, sort of awkward. D, you know, that's like, you should have come to the earlier lesson about why we don't talk about dominance. And I was like, wow. So yeah, you know, I think it's, it's really hard having um, conversations and, and keeping them really non-judgmental when it comes to behavior. And that is why I love starting from a basis of why. So there's a what what's the function aspect in the book and it just helps us to go do you know what like behavior is neither right nor wrong just it is it's functional like everything we do is functional Uh, even people trolling online they're like where was hannah kimberly when i had my um my my harley moment i know i mean i'm i have so much flying through my brain i keep i know I mean, I'm just like, the thing about it is I love, this is what I love animal behaviorists. And I feel so blessed because my first experience with like dog training was with someone who was an animal behaviorist. So when Mm -hmm. she came to our house to work with, you know, Rodrigo and Sydney, who were puppies at the time, she was looking at them in such a different, like rather than a trainer where well, what, what don't you like, or what do you want to see your dog not do or do and blah, blah, blah. She was looking at it as let's, let's look at their personalities and let's see what's different. Cause I had litter mates. And so it was just sort of like, okay, let's talk about litter mates and how Mm -hmm. we're make sure that they're independent. And, and it was such a different experience. And I feel so lucky that that was my introduction because Mm -hmm. it did lay the foundation of me wanting to understand like what you said, the why of, you know, and, and Kathy is like, that was the thing when we were talking about Harley's response to being groomed, that was my question. It was like, well, what was happening? What was happening in the room? What was going on around him? You know, what, what was the energy of the person he was working with? There's that. And that's always my question. And that's so like you're your dog CEO, right? Like you are chief in charge of all of their decisions, all of their actions. And actually what you were saying earlier, Kathy, about, um, 
you know, working and, and teaching people about whether the dog is into what's happening. There's some really fascinating new uh, new books being brought out about degrees of freedom and just talking about actually how many degrees of freedom do we give our animals in each context. Um, and there's a chap called Joe Lang. I love his research. He's amazing. Um, and one of the things they did was they they studied this with um, with orca. So they they had this really fascinating study and they they taught this orca to do a series of tricks for a fish right but they also had a ball that the orca could just poke and get a fish so the the animal had choice you can do the routine or you could just press the button and get the fish like that's your choice you don't have to do do all of the hoops and things and what they found was that actually the orca loved work if they loved working with the handler they'd do the sequence of tricks but if the handler was a bit younger and not as good with communication they'd just press the button and get the food (laughs) and that was their choice and it just that just it blows my mind a lot actually because in so many circumstances if we could give the dog the option of do you want to work today or if you want you can just do a touch and you can get the same reward that is so important so i had a dog that came through certification and and registration as a therapy dog with flying colors. The handling was spot on, a joy to um, be around. So even their cadence was in sync as they walked down the hallway. But as soon as you brought the dog into a patient's room, the dog's personality changed completely. And they were so disappointed thinking that I've gone this whole route to have a therapy dog and be able to work in the hospital. And now, you know, he's a failure. So I offered to go and observe them again. The same thing happened. But here's what was different. The dog was really trying to tell us that I don't know if it is being by the bedside. I don't know if it's the machines in the room, if it's the smell or the Mm -hmm. scent of the medication coming from the IV. When -hmm. you take him into a room, he becomes a different dog. He's disconnecting. He has no interest in listening to the handler. Um, He's just going to lay down and say, at some point, you'll realize I don't want to be in here and you'll let me go. So this dog helped me create a team within a team. So where you have doctors without borders, Mm -hmm. I now have dogs without orders. They don't visit patients. They stay in the hallways with the nurses. They're Uh in the ICU units. They're in the surgical lounges with the surgeons after the procedures. They're with the radiologists that are looking at the C scans and all of Uh that. And he thrives because he's not in a patient's room. Uh And it's, it's doing that and understanding that before you get ready to just cancel your dog out, the yeah. dog is desperately trying to communicate. You just got to kind of sit down there, scratch your head and say, this is going to be my, my equation for the week. I got to figure this one out. Mm-hmm. And now there are probably two dozen dogs that are doing this in four different hospitals on wow. campus. And wow. it makes such a difference because these dogs are going to be there for the care team members. Mm -hmm. Um, And like the nurse in the OR said, sometimes we have a patient that we get really attached to before the surgical procedure, Mm -hmm. Um, but we see them and they're at their worst. They're frightened to death, but then when they come out, they go someplace else. And Mm -hmm. we never, ever get an opportunity to find out was the procedure okay 
Did they get all of the cancer? Did, mm-hmm. Is the patient going to get better? Is the patient mm-hmm. going to live longer? Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the relationship that they have with the patient before they go into the OR, um, sometimes it really has a lingering effect. So to know that when you're feeling that way and you've got a dog sitting behind the desk, just saying, pet me, love me, you know, mm-hmm. hug me, I'm here for you, mm-hmm. um, makes a huge difference, makes oh, a yeah. really huge difference. I love how you pivot like that, you know, and listen to the dog and then pivot. So the dog still has a job. It still has a space. Yeah. Yeah. The dog (laughs) wasn't doing anything bad. We just had Uh -uh. to find the right place for the dog, you know, and um, that's that's really important. And professionals need that support just as much as the patients do, actually. If anything, you're kind of feeding into the mum in that environment so that the kids, as it were, get better care. So, you know, and my animal behaviorist brain just wants to problem solve that. And what I might do is just check, is it the door being closed? Maybe if the dog went into the patient's room as a, as though it was a corridor, so the door was kept open and they walked in and around the bed and back out again. And you could have start to teach the dog actually in those environments. They're brief, first of all. We don't go in and stay in. We go in, we walk around and we walk back out again. But every time we walk into one of those little micro rooms, there's like loads more snacks or those snacks are even better than the snacks they get in the rest of the hospital. So the dog starts to be like, oh, there's some special rooms here though. And they contain chicken and delicious sausage and things. So there's things that you can do there to change that animal's perception of that environment. But yeah, there's always multiple triggers on there. And it's really difficult if the dog's got lots of things. So those are those are all great suggestions. Um, I, I'm just going to leave this dog with the nurses right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so love- Kimberly, Kimberly, you tried to be slick, but what? I saw you. What? You grabbed that book again. I know it's right here. Did you see that? I can't. I had it way over there. But go ahead. Listen, I want you embrace, embrace who you are, girl. You're it's just it. so much fun because You're it's like the addict. more I talk about it, the you know, the more I listen to this amazing woman's voice, I just want to, you know, I you need to be an app on my phone where I can just go, you know, yes. like, Alexa, why is my or I guess it would it wouldn't be Alexa, it'd be Hannah. Why is my dog, you know, because I, when I first got the book, the first thing I looked up, and I want to know, Kathy, like, what's the first thing you looked up? The first thing I looked up was humping because I have a house full of humpers. I have three boys and one girl. And it's what's funny is that um, Rodrigo is a master humper. And I, he and he does a big pr- production about it. So, I, you know, with the head on the back. And so he lets me know that he's going to do so I can always go, Rodrigo, don't please just leave him alone. And he'll be like, all right. But what's funny is that um, Scout <laughs> Scout was never a humper until we added um, Apollo to the house. Mm-hmm. And Scout didn't know how to to. He, he didn't really understand how to do it first, but he was trying. And I have had so many pictures of Scout trying to hump Apollo that I was sending to my husband, just like, here it goes again. And then Zoe, because she's our shortest dog. They're all around the same height, but she's the smallest, most compact. So the other day she was trying to hump Apollo. And so she stood on a big Barker bed to give her some height because Apollo is so much <laughs> taller than her. That's so smart. <laughs> I, I I just absolutely love that section. And and just like the idea 
that it's not about dominance because that's what people will tell you that they're trying Mm. to dominate each other but Mm. it's not about dominance like it's the funniest thing watching our hump olympics in the house of them all trying to hump each other you know it's 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 an easy way of trying to calm things down isn't it humping a lot of the time you know and i think we see it in human beings we just forget that it happens like you know in i guess in america it's for you it's like football players in england it'd be like rugby players i've never seen such a humpy bunch (laughs) (laughs) you know they do like um it's an it's an easy way to get a satisfying sensation and there is a certain aspect of control of it of like i want to just stop stop it i want to hold you and stop you and calm you down and but yeah no i think it's massively misunderstood you know like i said i got this as a christmas gift for an office party so when i flipped it this is literally the same sticky that's been there since december of last year because that was my dog (laughs) brings me presents now kimberly i can make kimberly laugh out loud i've i have perfected this (laughs) okay the second thing that i found which was hilarious is on page 38 kimberly turn to page 38 and read that to hannah and tell her why this is so funny (laughs) <laughs> my dog can tell time it is like now i'm looking at the time 12 53 because yeah at um at a certain time on every one of our podcasts i mean there we have so many podcasts that end with oh there he is because harley will come into the room and just stare and we've taken <laughs> pictures where i will take pictures as he gets progressively closer and closer to Kathy. <laughs> To go, I guess you didn't hear me. I'm hungry right now. And it's kind of creepy. But it's like those are those times when when your dogs are so clearly communicating with you. And I mean, it's just like, wow. I mm. mean, and, you know, I think the thing that I, I enjoy about this book is that you know, one thing that I am very much a proponent of is allowing dogs to be dogs. I I'm blessed to live on five acres. So my dogs can roam and hunt and play and do swim. They can do everything and just be dogs. And it gives me a sense of calm of, you know, like one of my dogs is he's a roamer. So he leaves the property. He doesn't go far. He just goes like right on the outskirts of our property line. And he roams it to check, to make sure everything's okay. And he comes right Mm -hmm. back. I used to be freaked out when he would do this and panic. I get the other dogs in the house, go get a flashlight and a leash and go and hunt him down to bring him back home. Now I'm just sort of like, I don't see him. So he'll probably be back in about five minutes. And I just go about my business. And sure Mm. enough, every single time he comes right back. And it's just, and I, yes. Yes. And you know what? It makes me think sometimes we don't have quite so many strays in the UK as we used to. I don't know what it's like where you guys live, but you know what? I think it was something really beautiful when we had more strays because we we gave dogs so much more choice and we trusted them to make better decisions. You know, have you heard of Greyfriars Bobby? Have you ever heard of that story? Oh, guys, you have to watch that movie. It's a true story about a dog who lived in Edinburgh and he was so in love with his farmer friend who died in Edinburgh that he wanted to sleep on his grave and everyone in the town was like you can't there's no dogs in the graveyard it's not okay and everyone tried to like make him their friend and and own this dog right but Greyfriars Bobby was nobody's dog um, but he was everybody's dog and he 
he ended up getting given the keys of the city and there's a statue in Edinburgh this of this dog, right? That's a true yeah. story. And and this is this is what if we gave dogs a little bit more choice, a little bit more freedom, and ultimately the education that they need to stay safe, <laughs> they would surprise us. I've had clients who've been like, My old Labrador used to get on the bus, go to the news agents, get the newspaper, get back on the bus, and I'm like, Ah, that's a world that I would love to live in again, you know? We just don't give them that kind of freedom. Um do you want to know what my favourite page of the book is? <laughs> please, please. <laughs> I have so for me, it's pages 120 and 122. And this is all about fair and unfair play. So for me, like, it's not it's not a topic that's often covered in, in training manuals or books. And I think if there was one thing that I'd love people to take away about dog behaviour and, and learning how to dog watch well... Now, the play dynamic's tricky because dogs move so quickly and there's so much to pick up on their micro-signalling when they're playing, but um, we don't really know what play looks like. So when people say, I have to socialise my dog, yeah, he just plays for hours with other dogs. I'm like, okay, wow, that's too much. Like, children don't play for hours. They take breaks. (laughs) They might have, like, a 10-minute bout of, like, a game of tig or tag or whatever, and then they'll stop and then they'll do something else. And... There's lots of, of of checking and calming signals that happen in play. So I loved being able to really visually demonstrate the difference between unfair play, which is very body contact, a lot of teeth, uh, a lot of a lot of hugging. A lot of people say, "Oh, look, they're they're hugging," and I'm like, "Okay, that's not." That's not normal. <laughs> That's why so many dogs bark at us when we hug each other. And they're like, why is my dog barking at me? Because I'm hugging my, my partner. And I'm like, because it looks like you're about to have a fight. You know, so it's just that, that crisscross and, and fair play is so beautiful. It really is like capoeira. Like they don't, they what wah, it's sideways. And there's just so much space given and, and breaks taken. And so, yeah, I just love people to really like deep dive into into dog on dog interactions in a in, in a much more detailed way so yeah those are my favorites I, I remember <laughs> this section because when I was reading this it brought to mind back when I used to think dog parks were the best place ever uh-huh. and, um and I have pictures I don't know I don't know where they are now but I remember taking pictures of Rodrigo the first time we took him and his sister to the dog park mm-hmm. and he was doing the hugging and mm-hmm. I was like look at he has a friend. Yeah. I was so excited. Look at, they're having fun. And, and mm-hmm. what's interesting is that it probably with, I think we were going to the dog park for probably a year or so. And it was progressively be- becoming more and more of an issue until Rodrigo became the dog that nobody wanted at the dog park. And right. so reading that section was like, oh, now I understand because I mean he was exhibiting all these very bad things and I was encouraging it because I was just like look at them I didn't understand my dog's behavior and yeah yeah and you know what I don't blame anyone it's such a wonderful place to get to learn you know of course with uh, for the majority of people with dogs and with kids they they sort of go is that okay are they okay they're probably okay I mean they look they're not barking or biting. Yeah. Is, that, is that too far? And then you, we just don't know. We don't know. I, you know, I have no problem with stupidity. Stupid people just don't know stuff, right? <laughs> if you didn't know it, then yeah. then you can learn it and then you can apply it. But, you know, there's ignorance is a slightly different. You're ignoring something that you do already know. So if you're like, I know that my dog doesn't come out when I call it and I'm still going to let it off lead 
because you know what like I haven't got time and that's that's yeah. a totally different thing so I think once you I know, I, as far as I'm concerned once you start learning dog dog language and really get into the nuance of little bits like tail carriage and stuff like that most of my or all of my clients just suddenly go and the whole world opens up and they can't not see it you can't yeah. not see it <laughs> you can't turn away it's, it's once so you know fun it's it's what I love is when my dogs learn things from me that I didn't intentionally teach when Sydney was alive and Zoe and Scout were puppies I I we had four dogs and I was taking them all on a walk and Sydney has always been a dog that I can leave off leash it's just she walks next to me um and she's always been great and we were walking and I'm juggling all these leashes, trying to untangle them and accidentally drop Zoe's leash. And it was like, Zoe felt the tension on the leash release. and was like, yeah, and took off. And she's a little <laughs> tiny puppy running for her life down the Centennial Trail. And I was, I just looked up and was just like, oh no. And Sydney looked at me and then she ran after Zoe, grabbed Come her on. leash and Come on. Her. And then she, and then I was just like, oh my God. Good girl, Sydney. And so Sydney <laughs> dropped the leash, came back to me, and Zoe took off again. And I was like, Sydney, go get her. And she went after her, <laughs> grabbed her leash, and then she held on to her until I caught up. And I that it was like the most amazing thing on the planet, where it's just like, I'm looking at this dog, like, how many things have I said to you, assuming that you didn't understand? Me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what have you been listening to? <laughs> There go, your boy. There he is. There he is. Hey, handsome. Looking. Straight chilling. Watching. <laughs> That's so it. It's you, time. So you're going to be starting. Do you already have a podcast or you're starting a podcast with this new series? Yeah, it's, it's a brand new podcast. It's not been done before. Um, I think my heart was you know when I came out of uni one of the things that I looked when it when it came to the dog world one of the questions that I asked that's kind of changed the course of the way that I train and the way that I learn is um what's the conservation strategy that we have with dogs you know so at uni I was doing wildlife management and we were learning about you know so many different species of animal and we have conservation strategies for so many species you know we spend millions of pounds trying to get giant pandas to make babies <laughs> and controlling certain bits of wildlife, you know, and, and population management is huge. And yet, and so I was like, okay, so what's the conservation strategy with dogs, guys? And everyone was like, what are you talking about? There's loads of dogs. And I was like, yeah, but sorry, like, what are we doing? Because <laughs> we're just behaving. We're not really thinking about it. Human beings can, can change behavior so quickly. Just look at the iPhone, like how much that one piece of technology has fundamentally changed so much human behavior and i think if we're not conscious and making intentional decisions in the world of dogs mm -hmm. you know a lot can go wrong and so yes. i think really what i want to do with the future of dogs is um have a very broad conversation at, that says what if you know in lots of different areas like what if where have we been where are we now and where are we where do we want to go where could we go in the area of say dog grooming or veterinary care or breeding or showing or training like for me each of these little sub populations of dog culture are so inherently fascinating um and i'd just like to invite people to have new and fresh conversations about what what if 
you know, because until we're all on the same page, like human behavior can change. We can decide in England, for example, we have to pay five pence if you want a plastic carrier bag. So we're like, we will reduce plastic use, right? And to start with, we're like, no, I don't want to pay 5p. And now it's just standard. You just accept it. You're like, well, yeah. you haven't brought a bag, you're paying for it, right? So human behavior can very quickly change. We can all get on board if we've come to a, an agreement about a good strategy, yeah. you know? And I think when I was studying the dog world, I was like, okay, so, I'm sorry, what are the breed standards? Like, what is this? And they were like, well, we decided what a dog should look like. Okay, cool. So when, when did we do that? About a hundred years ago. Okay, cool. And so, and that's what a dog, that dog has to look like that for, for how long? And they're like, well, no, forever. Okay. Why? There's a little child in me that's just going, but, but, but why? And they're like, no, 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 it has to be that way. Like, absolutely. All Ridgebacks have to have a Ridge. Uh, this mild, mild form of Spina Bifida. Nah, but it doesn't matter. That's what they look like. <laughs> you know, so I think we really need to genuinely ah, take a moment and go like, what are we doing? What do we want the future of dogs to look like? Do we want to say it's always okay to breed a dog who is physically uncomfortable in its own body from birth? Is that okay? Like, I don't feel like that's okay. I don't think that's something that I can continue to live with, you know. And we we steward these dogs like they're ours. We can decide yes. what a pet dog looks like we can decide. Um, and I think we have a responsibility to have these difficult conversations, even if they make people go, no, it's my breed and I, I love it forever and you're not allowed to change it. Um, you know, I think we're all big yeah, enough and grown up enough to. Yesterday I was mm-hmm. approached by um, a magazine that asked me if I would like to take on this um, writing about purebreds. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I'm a doodle mom. So let's, let's talk about this for a minute, because if you think that I want to get into the mixed breed, crossbred hybrid, you know, debate, I don't, okay. Mm. I'm the wrong person. (laughs) And so you want me to pick this up now? All right. So then um, we decided for, I would think about purebreds. Why does it matter? And um, so I'm kind of leaning towards accepting this this writing gig because I'm trying to figure out, like you said, just because we've had these breeds for hundreds of years Mm -hmm. and somebody comes up with a combination that is going to better suit someone, um, as long as it's ethical, then um, why are we running from it? Why are we shunning and trying to shut it down other than, like you said, Human nature is our best friend and our worst enemy. It depends on how we view it and how we see it. Um, So that's very fascinating that you brought that subject up because it seems that we have to start really looking at why um, we become so hell bent to stay Mm. with something and we can't Mm. defend it. We can't justify it. Um, And it's, it's done because dot 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 and and, that and makes- that's again it's what's the function right like so yes. we can s- apply the same formula to any behavior which is why i love it so much it's like you can't 
if people just assume that people are being stubborn for the sake of like the, even the myth of being stubborn for me really does my head in because a lot of the time we say oh it's just a really stubborn person you're like no that person is standing on their belief for a reason there's a function there and I think a lot of the time with dog culture it becomes a part of our identity, right? So even then, it's like, do you want a gig writing about something, educating people? You're like, I'm a doodle mom. And and, set the, and it becomes a part of our identity. We Like, that is who I am. And so if, say, for example, you're like, I am a <laughs> English bulldog owner. And that's that's a part of my identity. And I say to you, I don't think English bulldogs should continue to be bred in the way that they are. They're like, whoa you're you're attacking who i am not just a choice that i have and so i think we really like there needs to be so much love put as foundation to these conversations that you know what is the point are we trying to improve the lives of dogs here um and some people will be like i don't care it's my it's my that's what i've always bred it's and my grandma used to breed British Bulldogs just for those listeners out there who were like, get off my dog. Like, you know, I take some responsibility. My grandma used to breed British, British Bulldogs. Um, and so, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. But take the gig. Do it, Kathy. <laughs> what have you got to lose? <laughs> well, you know, my whole thing is that um, there's just no space in my world for confrontation about things that yeah. I, I just don't believe matter. Um, I mean, they're important, but social media has a benefit and it has a lot of um, a lot of negatives. Uh, I had an experience that Kimberly took on for me. She will forever be my superhero now. (laughs) Um, I didn't ask her to, but good golly, Miss Molly, 2000 (laughs) comments later. Um, (laughs) Harley is 13 and he's always been bathed on a regular basis because he's a therapy dog. Mm-hmm. And nobody in the hospital wants a dirty dog. And I don't like dirty dogs. Um, and it's safe. He's never had any issues. But since living in Charleston, I've struggled with having the um, a permanent home for them. And I thought I did until about a month ago when the groomer just flat out said that as far as he was concerned, Harley was too old to get groomed as often as he, he has been. Um, he freaks out. And I just personally think that, you know, um, I can't do it anymore. Mm. And so I was feeling some kind of way. And I will tell you, Hannah, at no point in any of the sentences that I wrote, I was really expressing how I was. And I think I started out saying I'm feeling some kind of way because Mm -hmm. this has never happened before. Harley Mm -hmm. is just not that dog. Mm. Um, And I'm wondering now, what do I do? He is based on who he is, he he has to get a bath. Mm. Um, And so I did not know what to do. And somebody (laughs) came after me (laughs) in a not so polite, nice way, (laughs) which caused Kimberly to go Facebook live (laughs) on a rant that started out with, so let me tell you what we not going to (laughs) do. It then brought so many mixed opinions, but 98% of them were um, very positive. It reinforced my love for humankind because I really was looking for somebody to commiserate with me, to be able to say, I've been where you are. 
Um, <laughs> and that's what happened. When we started blogging, our senior dogs were puppies. And now they're, they're in a class um, that we've never, ever attended. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yes, your Bless next you. book. Okay, so do you, I can't even believe that you've brought onto this. It's almost like you know where I'm going, but you don't. But so my first thing that I wanted to change in the universe was to get everybody to understand dogs. Like I want everyone to see a dog and be like, oh yeah, he's aroused. Like actually that dog's a bit freaked out. Back it up. You know, that was my, and I've, I've kind of done that with the book and mm-hmm. I've got online courses you can do if you, if you're not a fan of reading, you can actually also get the book as an audio. So if you like listening to my voice, then you can hear lots more of that and a couple of accents, which are a bit weird. Um, so try that on for size, but my next big goal. So the next 10 years of my life, what I really want to do is change the grooming industry and the vet industry. So I have a course called Above and Beyond Grooming because this is exactly it. What you've experienced there, Kathy, is what they call sensitizing. And I hear this story a lot. And all of the dogs that I've trained, and I've trained 10,000 dogs in 10 years, mental. And all of the puppies that we work with were taught active participation. So they were taught to be handled in touch or to do a flat dog behavior so that they would offer a behavior so that they were engaged with the grooming process. But then what would happen is my clients would go into a groomers and the groomers would go, you what now? Pick it up, stick it on, wrap it up, muzzle on. And I was like, wow, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, like you can, he, like he can, he can work with you. And they're like, I don't, I, this, I don't have time for that. <laughs> And and the same with vets. And I don't, I don't have anything against professionals who are in that field. And like, I've got like 20 minutes to sort this out. Like I just shush, move your food and your face out my face. I just want to get this done. But for me, I'm like, you know, when we work with an animal in a zoo, a dangerous animal, say like a tiger, we have two choices. We can either dart it and make it scared of the handler to get it in to do its veterinary checks, or we can train it. And so for the last 10, 15 years, animals in zoos have been trained to come to the edges of enclosures, multiple species, cats, hello, (laughs) you know, tigers coming up to the edges of enclosures to do touch at the nose end, touch at the butt end, and then we'll just take some blood by choice while you're standing against the enclosure. You could walk away, but you don't because we've trained you to enjoy this process. And I look at this and I go, why are we not doing this with the domesticated pets? Like, they're domestic because they are patient with us, you know, because they want to work with us. They're, they're so forgiving. And as you say, Kathy, you're like, that's not my dog. What are you talking about? That My dog is not that this, dog. This is so amazing. So I, Hannah, I ended up going back to um, a groomer that they adored. And I said, look, you know, when you changed your schedule and went, when you changed your schedule and went part-time, um, I couldn't, we, our our schedules were just not aligned and it just wasn't going to work. I've got two dogs. It was a lot. Um, And I found this other groomer and and that was the past. I said, now it doesn't matter. I've got to be thinking about what's best for Harley. So I brought Harley in, not for a bath or anything, just for them to get reacquainted. Um, You know, Harley was becoming like Ray Charles. The hair was all in his face. He couldn't see. (laughs) So she said, I could kind of clip around that, take care of the paw pads because I can't get on a schedule until next month, which is fine. Um, While Harley was at the, on the table with her, um, he kept 
pulling back and, you know, trying to get her to get away from his face. Mm -hmm. And she said, this is not the Harley that I know. And every time he did that, she would stop, rub the bridge of his nose, put her head to his head and talk to him. And by the third time he stopped. So two weeks ago, I took him to a self-wash and um, had Kimberly laughing because nobody was in there. So I sang to him. I was Patti LaBelle and <laughs> Tina Turner, and Gladys yes. Knight. We had a great time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, but I purposely did not try to blow dry his head. Okay. I'm sorry, you've just reminded me that every time I wash my dog, <laughs> I sing Justin Timberlake. <laughs> every time. I'm going to wash you until <laughs> the break day. <laughs> I can't. I just, it's a tick. I think Carry it- on. <laughs> we should all get together and do an album series of the songs. We, we really should. We really should. Because you should see me as I scrub that ass. And I'm singing it's the midnight train to Georgia. Anyway. Uh, so um, today was just a huge milestone. And I'm going back to what you were talking about with the touch and and not pick it up, wrap it up, hang it up. Mm. Um when I was blow drying Harley Kimberly, he actually laid down and he didn't have a harness or anything on him, but I was in front of him. So there's no place he was going to go. And he allowed me to blow dry from the back hmm. and he just laid there. And then when I got like behind the ears, he would turn and pivot in that direction. I caught a couple of little short video clips for my post that I'm going to do, but um, it was so true. He was okay. And he allowed me to do it. Now Mm. it took me forever, but that's okay. Um, He was fine. So I'm really now relaxing. I've had my woosah moment about Mm. August 11th when I bring them back to Andy to do this because I'm actually watching him kind of forget about where he got kicked out of mm-hmm. and, and bringing back the fact that this is cool. This is okay. Yeah. You see, he's still sleeping is after four and he hasn't harassed me about dinner. It's a good sign. <laughs> that's a good um, sign. I, I but, just, dogs are to me, dogs. That's one thing that I love about dogs is how they live very much in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can, you can do a reset with them. And you know what? Everybody wants to play. Like everybody wants to play with dogs and get to know. And I think, as you say, like there's an idea that dogs live in the moment. I think there's definitely still a truth that they can, you know, they retain mm-hmm. memory. Obviously, <clears throat> you know, it doesn't take much to, if a dog has had a trauma in an environment and you haven't been in that environment for a while and you walk back in, they're like, no, no, this was the bad place. This is the bad place. The bad thing happened. We know that because we don't always go to the vets. And yet every time <laughs> we go, they're like, oh, no, this is, I remember the finger up the butt. This was not my favorite, not my favorite place. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, what we, we don't ever want to sensitize really. And, and and what you've said is exactly perfect, Kathy. Like they're rebuilding relationship in the same way, Kimberly, that your you, your husband and the dogs are build, building relationships. Dogs, what I love about them is they are quite quick. Some, not all actually. <laughs> if they haven't seen a lot of people when they're really young, their capacity to have what we call neural plasticity um, and stress immunization and to to, to pattern generate is reduced so it can grow it can always grow but it will grow a bit more slowly anyway 
every single interaction they have is a is a is a fresh start you know and and i love that about dogs i've i've worked with so many dogs who are phobic of nail clipping or um you know clippers or the bath or the sound of water and if you can just work the dog under their threshold and it doesn't take long i just want to smash that potential myth um that actually desensitization work can take forever or that bathing could take forever <sighs> It doesn't necessarily, you know, there was an amazing Dr. Sophia Yin. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She was like a vet nurse. She's amazing. Oh, I miss it. You know, she should still be here. It's not fair. But she did a really great video about counter conditioning of Jack Russell. And it just goes to show like that dog was going to get put to sleep for snapping because the kids used to blow in his face and he went to bite the face of a child. And then the dog was brought in to be put to sleep. And she was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I think it it was like 20 minutes. If you put all of her training sessions together, she was like hard blowing in this dog's face. And it was like waiting for treats because she's counter conditioned it well, you know, so it doesn't take long if you've taught the dog that really good things happen. And the thing is with a phobia is like if a bad thing has happened, you've just got to think of it this way. If you're trying to change a dog's emotional landscape about something, say you've had five times where the bad thing has happened, you need five times where nothing bad has happened and then five times where something good has happened to fairly rebalance into the positive emotionally for that dog so it's just about thinking about that you know people are like I want my dog to stop being scared of cars how old is he 10 okay how many times have you yanked him on the lead when he's been around cars every walk he's had since he was 10 okay wow (laughs) it's a lot of counter conditioning but it can still be done if you've got a high enough reinforcer and you set the dog up to succeed so yeah I think we all just need to spend more time hanging out with dogs and, and just rebuilding that relationship because oh, we do, we do. You know? They're just yeah. so much more fun. Sorry, yeah. human, but it's okay. they're just so much more fun. Will you, will you please pick up your microphone? <laughs> I think I want a microphone now like Hannah. I know, right? I yeah, know. I know. I think I want one. I think we need to do that. It's a dangerously get, good microphone. Get, Am I getting I think a, I can, a package? I can hear people <laughs> whispering in New York with this bad boy. It's a lot. Like it's, a, it's not necessarily a good thing. Before well, we listen, came on, I was just sitting all... going, I can hear the neighbors. It's really nice. <laughs> well, we started out looking like air traffic control people. Um, <laughs> and then we got to this. But yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Don't You can edit this part out, Kimberly. I'm not going um, to. <laughs> Some people... Bits. Some people with all the power. <laughs> we, could, we could go on and on, but um, I'd like to save some for another podcast, Hannah, if you would agree sure. to come back. Are you kidding me? I know. I have. I, this is just like the tip of the iceberg. I'm just going to tell anyone who is listening to this, please order this book. We will put a link in the comments. It will change your life because it, it is. It's so much fun just all of a sudden you start looking at your dogs a little differently because now you have a resource, like things that would go through your head. Like, Oh, that's interesting. Now it's like, I run, this book has a special space on our shelf so that I don't have to go through all the books to try to find. Oh it. yeah. I quoted her. I quoted her um, about something. And Lee said, you need to stop making stuff up. I said, Oh, just wait a minute. <laughs> just wait a minute. Let me go upstairs and get my book. Come on. Oh, guys, I'm so glad you like it. Like, you know, it's I'm really proud of it. And it came out during COVID, which is, you know, the big bad C word. And it was super sad because 
you know, they'd normally do like a, a book signing and stuff like that. And it kind of was released under the radar because we couldn't hang out in public still. And, and I'm just really glad that you, that you've picked it up and you love it. Cause I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a great book. It's a fun book to read. And, and what I love about it is that it's made in a way that I like to read books where, you know, I like to flip all over the place. I, mm-hmm. and you know, when I wrote my book, I, I did the same thing where it's, um, one person, I got a review that said my book was repetitive and it's like, cause it's not meant to be read from start to finish. Mm-hmm. It's not a novel. It's a resource. So, you know, you yes. just go through and flip and find what you need. And that's what I, I go to the, the, you know, the index and I, and I look for humping and then I flip and I go and learn about <laughs> why is my dog humping each other? But yeah, it's like, I'll flip through and see a picture and that'll make me stop. That's how I found the hugging one. Cause I saw a picture of two dogs hugging and immediately thought of Rodrigo and was just like looking at him. So it's like, oh, so basically I was, I created an entire environment that turned my dog into this dog dog aggressive Brawler. dog yeah. <laughs> now, this is what i tell people there is for the just the average pet parent okay not the one that is over the top like the two people i'm talking to but <laughs> just just the just i mean you don't have to be a blogger on animal behaviorist you're gonna find two things in this book you're going to find things that will help explain why your dog does what he or she does. Then you're going to find things that help explain what you see in other people's dogs. So you really can't not relate to this book because it's going to take you down both of those paths. And that's what I think I have enjoyed more than anything else. You know, watching somebody walk with two shelties and I don't know who's walking who. And I know that the lady has got to use um, Ben Gay on her shoulders every night because they're pulling her in two entirely different directions. And I'll find myself looking at the book going, what can I casually gain from this to then speak like I know what I'm talking about when she Mm -hmm. sees me again and says, how do you walk your dogs and they don't pull you all over the place? So, Mm -hmm. yes, it is a book that I think it's it is just thought provoking on so many levels. So I'm so happy I got the book. So thrilled that Kimberly went and got her copy yeah. and excited to finally meet you. Yes, yeah, so I know. Thank you so very much. Cause I, I love this book. Like, look at this one, like the ladder of aggression. I'm grateful yeah. because my mind stops right here at the turn the head away. Mm. Well, you let him ultimately a big round of applause for you, Kimberly, because you've taught him he doesn't need any more than that because you've got yeah. eyes on, you yeah. know, and that's it. I think that's so what, many dogs I think are... you say somewhere else in the book is like, that's your dog saying no. And huh. so that's what I've always paid attention to is like when my dog turns the head away, it's like, oh, that's just their no. So Hannah, reach out whenever you're ready to come back, love. Oh, okay. it would be such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, ladies. You're you just a joy. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. It's my pleasure. Are you going to go feed your dog now? Are you going to start recording? Why? Are you going to say something horrible and snot? <laughs> <laughs> no, my dog my, is actually okay. He's just, he's chilling. My, he, my dog picks, picks up on the BYE if I'm on a Zoom call and then I say... Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. 
No. Is it time? Hello. Hi. He did, he did get a treat <laughs> after we left the, um, when I'm paying for the, the grooming, um, he gets a treat then again mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. balance out that, that negative experience. So he's had some ginger and turmeric cookies, actually. Ooh, and that was so funny nice. that you say that. Scout, because one of my dogs um, has lymphoma. And I always have to say this because I'm like so excited. He's, I think he, I don't, I've lost track. I think he's eight now, 18 months post-diagnosis. So yeah. <laughs> amazing. But, That's amazing. But he, you know, doesn't like go like to go for treatment. And so um, he gets, he knows he gets excited to go. He knows when we're going, he gets, he gets in the car, he gets a, a chew immediately because he stands between like give me my chew and goes and lays in the back while we drive there and then when we leave he jumps in the car same thing he's like okay i tolerated that where's my treat mm-hmm. and he gets it and yeah and they love him there they're like he is the best dog and it's not oh, his favorite boy. place to go and thankfully we get to we only have to go once a month now but what's interesting is that and i know we're supposed to be wrapping up his holistic vet does her practice out of her house And he loves that so much better Mm -hmm. than the clinical environment. And since it's just me, her, and him, there's no other dogs, no other people. He's able to relax a a lot more into that than. And that's, you know, that's exactly what I want to see is that we just need to change. It's a bit like, you know, when women were taught to give birth again, I'm going to shut up. I know, but we had to give birth on our backs. Why? Because it was easier for the doctor. Mm. It's the worst position that we could possibly give birth in is on our backs because our hips aren't expanding that way. It's not a thing that we should have ever been encouraged to do. And the same with like the veterinary experience for me. If a dog walked in and was like, sort of it's a pet shop. So like three different kinds of games that they played in the waiting room. Mm -hmm. And that expectation was, oh, this is a place where we get extra chicken and we have loads of good fun unless they're nil by my mouth and they have to go in for an operation i understand that it can't always be food but actually just getting the dog to play in yeah. the vets and stopping very so very serious um ah oh, it could it's, it's going to change give me 10 years yeah hopefully i'll do it in five okay, <laughs> okay. Watching. Hope. <laughs> That's my hope. all right well bye ladies thank you so much hannah it was really Wow. Kimberly, I think this is our longest podcast. I think so too. <laughs> I think so too. An hour and a half. That's pretty impressive. I know. This is great. <laughs> and I'll send you the link once we, um, once Kimberly does her editing. Okay. Amazing. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye.